Uh, today I am preaching a sermon titled, Jesus' Grace. Now let me tell you where the whole idea came from. Um, came from a book I read a few years ago called Jesus Is uh, Space uh, by an author called Judah Smith. Now I don't know what your thoughts are of me after I've just mentioned that author, but I enjoyed the book. It's a brilliant book. It just takes you through a number of topics from the Bible. And one of the topics that he talks about is Jesus' grace. Uh, from that very book, I did a sermon series in a church that we used to have in Tembisa. So this sermon greatly refreshed, refreshed for you here tonight to hear from God's word. But yeah, Jesus' grace, this is what we will be fo- focusing on tonight. Let me pray for us as we come to God's word. Our Father, we praise you for your grace and love shown in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, Lord, it is this very grace that brings us close to you. This very grace that brings us into your family to be adopted children. Father, often, even as adopted children, we tend to act like orphans. Uh, We forget the grace that you've shown us. We actually try and work our own way up to you. And so, Lord, tonight, in the times when we find ourselves doing that, would you remind us of your amazing grace through Jesus so that indeed we would build our lives upon your word. We would build our lives upon your grace, upon Jesus who came to this earth to bring us into your family. And this we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm going to ask you to just uh, fill in the blank. The book that I mentioned to you is called Jesus Is, and then you fill in a number of things that you would say Jesus is. I mean, if I asked you that today, Jesus is, what would you say? Apart from grace, which we've just mentioned. Dope. Love. Uh, A number of things that you would say that are great. uh, Great things that actually describe who the person of Jesus is. But... But I think if you turned out and asked maybe people outside of the church and asked them who do they think Jesus is, I think they would often have a a different description of of who he is. You'd probably hear people say Jesus is a good and wise man. Uh, You'd hear some people say he's a hero in an old novel. And some people would say Jesus is a lunatic. And some would say Jesus is a liar. They'll say all kinds of things about who Jesus is. Here's the thing. Everyone has an opinion on who Jesus is. And it's okay for them to have an opinion on Jesus, but it doesn't mean their opinion is right. So we we need to come to see what the Bible says about Jesus. Because very often people have misconceptions of who who Jesus is. They misunderstand who he is. And and I often think that this is true in the church as well. Uh, You and I often have a a misunderstanding, a mis... a, a, an incorrect understanding of who Jesus is. And very, very often I think you and I are the people that are, are unhelpful to the people outside of the church to understanding who Jesus is. Now as I've given it away, you've seen it today, Jesus is grace. But let's stop there for a while. I, I think that very word as well is also quite misunderstood. Grace. I think if I asked most of you here, because I mean you guys are great Christians, you know your Bibles very well. I actually picked it up a few weeks ago when I asked you a few questions. And someone was sitting there, actually shouted a great Christian answer. And I was like, yeah, I like this. 
I think if I asked you what grace is, I think a lot of us would say, probably this is what happened in your conversations. Uh, grace is unmerited favor. Who would say that? Uh, grace is undeserved merit from God. Who would say that? This is what grace is. But here's the thing. Although we have grace and we understand, understand its definition so clearly in our heads, often it does not trickle down to our hearts and our lives. In our lives, we often do not live as people who have been shown grace. We do not live grace-flowing, grace-filled, grace-enjoying lives because we often misunderstand what grace is. Now, let me give you a few examples. These are a few examples that show that you and I often misunderstand what grace is. Who who of you here have bargained with God? Uh, I think most of us would admit to having done that. I can give you a few examples. A few examples that we, you and I have probably said. God, if you do this, I promise I will always do this, or I will do this. I mean, you and I have probably found ourselves at times like that. And because there are students amongst us, I've probably a few students have said, Lord, they were meant to be studying, ended up watching series the whole night. Lord, if you help me through this exam, I promise I will, I will do better in the future. We find a way to bargain with God. I'm just giving you examples. That may seem silly at first. But here's another example. You see some a traffic officer coming up towards you, and you think at that moment, oh, Lord, can you just make sure he doesn't stop me? I, I promise I'll get that ticket, or I promise I'll get the disc sorted out. And, yeah, they don't stop you, but you never really do. Again, here's another one. Lord, would you help me to put these screaming kids to bed? Who would they just stop screaming? I, I promise I won't, I won't give them sweets before they go to bed. But I'm giving you a few examples that show how you and I often bargain with God. And we all do it. Even as Christians, we bargain with God. And I think this is true as well of people who are not Christians. And notice how people often pray when they find themselves in difficulty. And at those very moments, you find that they will say, God, if you do this for me, I will do that. And it often shows what we think of grace. Here's something else I know about you and me. We bargain with God, and when God has kept his side of the deal, or if it looks like God has kept his side of the deal, you and I don't actually keep ours. We, we never keep our side of the deal, even after God has answered whatever prayer we've had. Actually, when God comes to us, chances are, if he comes to us, to, to find a response to how he has answered a prayer, chances are he would probably find this tune, subscriber unavailable. And sometimes you and I then, because of this kind of way of living, we find ourselves doing this whole bargaining thing with God and never keeping our side of the deal. But there's another side to this. And they're actually Christians, they're people who live as though they cannot do God and His goodness. God has shown them goodness, but the way that they live their Christian life is a performance field kind of life. That they feel like they cannot do God on the goodness that he's shown them. God, you've shown me grace. But because I don't want to be owed by you in one sense, let's see how I can outdo you. A little bit earlier, uh, Humuto mentioned one of the characters from a, a sitcom, that, uh, a series that he watches, Sheldon. Sheldon is that kind of character. You buy Sheldon a gift, he will always make sure that he has a gift that he's hidden. You give him a gift... And if his gift is less expensive than yours, he finds a way to pay you back. He gives you some change here because of what you've just done for me. 
And I think as Christians, we can often do that as well in the way that we respond to God and His grace. So as we come to the passage today, as we come to think about what God's grace is today, I want us to be reminded. I want God to reorient our understanding of grace. Now, I hope you hear me. I did not say your, but our. Because I often find myself in that very place as well, where I'm trying to outperform God or trying, trying to outdo God. I find myself doubting God's goodness for my life. I find myself bargaining with God, bargaining with this grace that he has shown us. And as we come to God's word today, today's sermon is topical. So what we will be doing is we will be running through a number of passages in the Bible. And I hope you'll be ready for that. We'll be doing a bit of a, some gymnastics or marathon today uh, to go through a few passages in the Bible. And as we do that, there are three points that I want us to think about. This very topic of grace. Jesus' grace. Uh, three things. Here's the very first one. Grace is a person. Two, grace is enough. Three, embrace grace. Grace is a person. Grace is enough. And three, grace is a person. Now for our first point, let me read for us a passage in Titus 2. I'll give you a way, some time to make your way to Titus 2. And we'll read from verse 11. Now in this very first point, we'll see so clearly. Grace is a person. Grace is not just a principle or some teaching or doctrine. Grace is not some abstract concept or thing. God's grace is a person. Jesus Christ is God's grace personified. Now open uh, Titus 2 and we will read together from verse 11. Listen to what Titus says to, or what Paul rather says to us as he writes to Titus. For God's grace has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Now, I hope you notice something as we read through that passage. It starts by telling us about God's grace that has appeared. But notice a bit, a little bit later, it tells us again, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, a number of commentators, as they talk about this passage, and those two words that are used, they are appearing. Uh, they often uh, point out that these two words are actually talking about two kinds of appearances. The first is the appearance of Jesus when he comes for the first time. He dwells amongst us to live the life that we couldn't, to go to the cross and die the death that we should have, and to rise so that you and I could enjoy all the benefits that he brings to us. But a little bit later we are told about him coming again. We're told about a second appearance of this great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So that very first phrase at the beginning, for the grace of God has appeared, you could actually say, for Jesus has appeared. Because Jesus is God's grace personified. Jesus has appeared to come and bring God's grace to us. To come and show us what God's grace looks like. See, grace has appeared in a person. Grace is a person. The God-man who has come to rescue us. John chapter 1 verse 14 to verse 17. We see there that the word 
who was there at the very beginning, the word who is God, comes to tabernacle amongst us. He comes to dwell amongst us. And you see, this word is God's grace, who has come to rescue us. See, God's grace meets us at our points of need in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think once we realize that grace is a person, and not just some principle or doctrine. Now, don't think I'm minimizing the fact that there's, there's a doctrine of grace. I'm not minimizing that. But once we realize this, this is what it does for us. It gets us to put two things together that the Bible wants us to see. The person and work of Jesus. It puts them together. But very often when we talk about grace, we think of grace as simply being the work of Jesus, the life he lived for us, him suffering for us in his death, and him rising from death. We often think of it as just that. But we don't think of grace as a person. But you see, the scriptures over and again want us to put these two things together. The person of Jesus Christ and his work. And you see, once we get this, once we get that grace is a person, we begin to relate to God a little bit differently. We understand that God has come to rescue us, to have a relationship with us. If there are a few phrases you've heard from us in these last few weeks are the words, God has come to tabernacle or dwell among us. God has come to commune, to have a relationship with us. So think about this. From the very beginning of time, what God has always wanted is to have a relationship with Bandu, to have a relationship with Venom. This is what God has always wanted, to come and dwell with us, to come and commune with us. And there appears in this person of Jesus who has a relationship with us. I love how one commentator actually explains this very passage and this very, the, the, the very words we've just read. Listen to how he explains the grace of God. The grace of God is more than a divine attribute. It is embodied in a divine human person, Jesus Christ. Christ, Christ not only is God incarnate, but is grace incarnate. Only Christ personifies and expresses the grace of God. Grace appeared visibly. Grace appeared in the flesh, in the person and work of Jesus. Grace is a person who desires to save you, who desires to bring you into a relationship with him, who has loved you with an everlasting love, who wants you to be part of his family. So right now, might be an appropriate moment for you to turn to someone else and say to your neighbor, neighbor, grace is a person. No, no, I don't think neighbor heard you. So you need to say it a little bit louder. Neighbor, grace is a person. See, the grace of God is expressed in Jesus Christ. The grace of God in Jesus expresses the greatness of God's love and the greatness of his mercy. A mercy that is bottomless. A mercy that overflows. Some of you have heard me use this illustration. The grace of God in Jesus Christ is like that bottomless coffee and ginger beer at Mug and Bean. It doesn't run out. Jesus has come to show you great love. He loves you and cares about you. And if you notice again in Titus, Jesus gave himself up to purify us so that we could become a people of his very own possession. This is what he came for. He wants you as his own. 
He wants you as part of his family. That's great love that God has shown us in Jesus. Now, now let me tell you that what often happens in church. Often you'll hear people say, hey, be careful of talking too much about grace. Be careful of talking too much about grace because uh, some people might overuse the grace of God. They might use it as a license to sin. They'll use it as a get-out-of-jail-free card, if you remember Monopoly. They'll use it as a get-out-of-jail-free card. See, see, they'll plan their sin in advance. And actually, all of us do that. We don't realize it, we do. We plan our sin in advance. And then we bring out that get-out-of-jail-free card and say, hey, I'm good. But here's the thing. Preaching less about grace is not going to stop people from sinning. Actually, people need to hear more about God's grace and especially how this grace is a person. A person whom you have a relationship with. I mean, I have a relationship with, with my wife, of course. And because I love my wife, and she's shown me such great love, I'm very careful. Yes, at times of glory, I wouldn't have but I'm very careful to hurt her. I'm very careful to grieve her. And when we understand that there's this person who has come to show you great love. You relate to him differently. You understand there's a person who loves you. It's not just some principle. Grace is a person. And the person is the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, as I just said, if you love someone, you'll figure out how to respond to the love that they've shown you. Actually, if you love someone, you'll talk about them. You won't stop talking about them. Uh, a few of you who probably started dating someone, you know how you find yourself in that very phase where you can't stop talking about the person. And see, when you love a person, when you understand how they've loved you, you want the rest of the world to know about him or her, as we've just sung a little bit earlier. That's what we want. We want person to see this person, Jesus Christ. Grace is a person. Jesus is grace. Again, remind the person next to you, Grace is a person. Now, let's go to our second point. Our second point is grace is enough. Grace is enough. One of the verses that most people think is in the Bible has got to be the, the, the verse or phrase, God helps those who help themselves. Hezekiah 6 verse 1. Now, now, I see a few of you who think actually Hezekiah is a book in the Bible. It's actually not. That phrase is actually not from the Bible. But very often, as you heard me earlier, this is how we relate to God. Or we think I've got, I've got to do something so that God comes to mind. A, God helps those who help themselves. And we do it. And what we do in our thinking, it is as though what Jesus has done on the cross is not, is not complete. That we need to add on to what he has done. And so we misunderstand perhaps the words from Paul in Colossians. When he says in his suffering, he adds on to the sufferings of Christ. We misunderstand that and think, oh, maybe Paul is saying that we can add on to what Jesus has done. But, but actually Paul is talking about something different there. He's talking about how when, when, when the church suffers, Jesus actually suffers. But we, we can't add on to what God has done for us. Grace is enough. And this is something for us to think about over and over again. 
if you remember the words of Jesus as he is at the cross, he says these very words. It is finished. It is finished. As a preacher, I did a whole sermon on a word called tetelestai, which is, it is finished. That's what it says. It is finished. What Jesus has done is the complete work that you need to be right with God. There's nothing else that you need to be right with God. The work that Jesus on the cross did is enough. Grace is enough. Uh, C.S. Lewis on one time, when he finds a group of people, this is the story that's often been told of him, finds a group of people discussing the difference between Christianity and other religions. He finds all of them talking and saying all kinds of things. Well, what is the difference? Is it, is it the incarnation? Is it Jesus uh, being born of a, of, of a virgin? Is, is it the resurrection? What is it? What makes Christianity different? He walks up to the board, uh, so as the story is told, and he gets there and writes the word N-E and turns and looks around. And then he writes D-O and N-E in brackets. He says what's different about Christianity from every other religion is N-E. God has done all that you've needed to be right with him. Every other religion says do. You need to do something to prove yourself to God. But Christianity says done. God has done all that you need to be right with him. It is complete. It is complete. Jesus is enough. Grace is enough. If you remember Paul's words in Romans 8, Verse, Romans 5, rather, verse 8. He says, But God demonstrates his love for us, his grace towards us. In this, while we were still sinners, Christ died. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. A little bit earlier in that passage, you were told that you and I were actually powerless. We could not save ourselves. We were weak. But in our weakness, in our sin, in our powerlessness, God comes to save us. 1 John 3.16 tells us that this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us. Laid down his life for us. Past. It's all done. And then in the next chapter he says we love because he first loved us. See, see when we understand that, that's how, that's how we can live a grace-filled life. That's how we can live a grace, uh, enjoyable life. When we understand that God has done all the work we've needed to be right with him. He's done all of it in Jesus. It is because of someone else's name, someone else's work, that you and I stand right before God. Grace is enough. I remember one time, another story about traffic officers. I was driving home, and I get stopped by this traffic officer. And at that time, my, my window screen in the front was cracked, I must actually, David has, has saved me, hey, because he actually paid for that. He said, hey man, you, you've had this for a while. Let, let me just fix it. Let me just pay, pay this for you and get it sorted out. But before then, I got stopped by this traffic officer. It's cracked, and I'm a little bit worried as he stops me. He walks around the car. Now, now often we speak terribly about traffic officers, and they, they do a great job. They do their job. Yeah, yeah there are a few of them who want a cool drink. But, but, but they often do a good job. So this guy is walking around the car, trying to see if there's, that everything is okay, um, and that the car is roadworthy and everything else. And he comes to the front, and he sees the, screen, the, the, the window screen, that it's cracked. And he comes to me and says, Sir, did, did you see what's happening in the front? 
And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I see what's happening. Um, and I couldn't come up with any story of why I hadn't fixed it. So I, say, I said to him, hey, man, I just haven't had cash to do it. And then he says to me, no, it doesn't matter. I'm giving you a ticket. He's like, give me your license. I give it to him. No cool job. Serious, no cool job. I gave him my license. And he reads the license and he sees my name and he says, Lamichi. I'm like, yeah. He's like, I'm man. Lamichi. I'm like, yeah. He's like, who's your father? I'm like, Nelson. He's like, I man. No, no, no. He's like, who's your uncle? I'm like, uh, Vian. And then, I'm like, oh, okay. He's like, I-, I know your family. I know your dad. So my dad was a counselor in the area at one point. He's like, I know your dad, man. I know, I know your dad. I know the work he's done in the township. He's like, I know, I know him. He's like, you know what? You can go. And actually just tell them that she saw me. You can go. And I left. I was actually driving home. And when I got home, I told my dad about it. I'm like, hey, I actually got let go. Well, someone let me go because of your name. Because of something you've done in the past. Because they knew who you are. So they let me go. And I was like, it seems strange to me. But that's what God does for us. See, because there's someone else has done the work on our behalf, there's someone whose name that you and I can claim. We can stand right before God. Grace is enough. Grace is enough for us. I was pardoned, and in the same way we are pardoned of every sin, past, present, and future. And we're not just pardoned, but we're actually adopted and embraced as sons and daughters. And you can add to that that God actually seals our adoption by giving us his spirit. That he, he has a guarantee. He has a sure sign that you're part of my family. He seals us with his spirit. See, there's no work that God requires for us to be right with him. I love what Jesus says in John 6. He looks at the crowd that is before him right after he's performed the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And then they come to him expecting that he would do something else. And then Jesus says to them after they've asked him uh, the work that is needed to be done. And Jesus says to them, the work that God requires is this, to believe in the one that he sent. That's all God requires. Believe in Jesus. Believe in the work that Jesus has done for you on the cross. Claim someone's name on your behalf. See, that name and claim doctrine that you often hear in other churches, this is where it applies. You can actually name and claim the name of Jesus and say, hey, I'm right before God. God has made me right through Jesus. And I can trust in this. I can trust that this is enough for me. Another story. When the Golden Gate Bridge was being built over San Francisco, there's a story that's told that uh, when, this, when this bridge was being built, often people would fall over as they were trying to build it, and a number of people fell to their death. Terrible story. But someone came up with an idea and said, hey, let's put a net so that if the people fall, they would fall onto the safety net that holds them. And whenever the people fell, I mean, they knew that there's something that holds them down. We're saying a little bit, we're saying in the morning a song that, that says, God will hold me fast. And then this, is, this is it. Jesus will hold us down. He holds us down. The work that he has done for us is enough. I must say, I have no idea what you're going through today. Perhaps you find yourself struggling with sin in your life. 
Perhaps you find yourself doubting even the goodness of God over your life. Or perhaps you're not a Christian. Let me start with the first two. If you find yourself struggling with sin, often what happens with us is we think, or, or rather this is what we do, we condemn ourselves because of our struggle with our sin. And we forget what uh, Paul says in Romans 7. Uh, it's a passage that's a little bit hard, but it's a passage that is easily understood when you, when you see what happens before and after. Paul in Romans 7 says, what I want to do, I do not do. What I do not want to do, I find myself doing. And you, you know how he starts chapter 8? Before he ends chapter 7, he says, thanks be to God because of Jesus. And then thereafter he says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Because what Jesus has done for them is enough. You find yourself struggling with sin? Listen to this. God's grace is enough for you. With whatever particular sin you're struggling with. There's now no condemnation for you. But remember a little bit later in chapter 8, Paul says that we are now no longer obliged to our old self, but we're obligated to live by the Spirit. Actually, God does not just save us. He actually empowers us to be able to live in the way that he wants us to. And we often think that God has left us out. We are like that elephant, a young elephant that is chained to uh, a small pole when it's young. It's chained to a small pole when it's, it's young in the circus. And this elephant grows up the whole time thinking it has no power to pull away from this very sin. It believes them, or this very pole rather. It believes them. That it just can't yank it away. But when, as the elephant grows, it actually does have the power to pull away. And, and often you and I live like we have not been empowered. We live like God has not empowered us by his grace. God has not empowered us by his spirit to pull away from that very sin. But we pull away from the sin because we have been loved. We're not trying to earn love. God has shown us his love. His grace is sufficient. I love these words from Jerry Bridges. And listen to what he says. Your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. In your, in your worst days and your best days, you always need God's grace. And God's grace is sufficient for you. The gospel is this, Tim Keller says. We are, much more, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are much more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever did hope. His grace is sufficient. So turn to someone next to you and say, grace is enough. Come on, say it a little bit louder. Grace is enough. Grace is enough for you. Last point. Embrace grace. Let's throw ourselves at the hands of of grace. Now we'll open to a story in Luke chapter 15. Open to Luke 15. This is a story that is all too familiar to us. We know this story very well. See, once we see God's grace, that his grace is a person who has come to commune with us, and that God's grace is enough, then the logical response from us should be that we throw ourselves at grace. That we throw our hands to God's hands Throw ourselves rather to God's hands so that he embraces us. And Luke 15 is actually a story that is like that. So you know the story. Two sons 
and the two sons are actually both lost. Often when we read the story, we think the one son who was, who was asked for his inheritance that it goes and blows, we often think that he is the one who's lost. But actually both sons are lost. But as you read through the passage, this is one of the things that a few uh, authors have said, a few commentators have said. This story isn't actually wanting to point us to the two sons so much so. Rather, what this story wants us to see is the father who embraces the lost son who comes back. You see, the reason why we should embrace grace is because grace will embrace us. Grace embraces us first. And this is what we see here. This son comes back home, and he does not think to himself, let me figure out a way I can bargain with the father. He rather comes and throws himself to the father and his love and his grace. And he's accepted by the father. But often you and I are like the older son. Even when we find ourselves struggling with sin, stuck in our sin, we do not actually throw ourselves back at God's grace. We try and win back God's favor. I'll read my Bible a little bit more this coming week. I'll read in your Bible is a great thing. I'll pray a little bit more this week. That's a great thing. I'll serve more. That's a great thing. But we often use these graces that God gives us to have a relationship with Him as a way to work our way back to Him. But when we understand that just like the protocol son here is embraced by the Father, that God embraces us in the same way because of Jesus, then we will throw ourselves at grace. We will embrace grace. We will embrace grace because grace has come to embrace us. Let me close off with this story. There's a story that's been told of uh, a, a Brazilian girl who leaves home and goes like the prodigal son to live a life that uh, she wouldn't have when she was home. She just goes and lives her life in whatever way she wanted. She's left home. Her mom has no idea where she is. But her mom, because of a great love for her, goes around to the city and puts, different, puts pictures of, of her all around the city. And you know what's the message that was written on those pictures? This was the message. Whatever you've done, whatever you've become, I still love you. Please come home. And that's what God says. If you're a Christian today, struggling with sin, struggling with all kinds of things in life, struggling with even trusting God for provision, God says, whatever you've done, whatever you've become, I still love you. Please come back home. Now we're uncomfortable about this kind of grace because we want to earn it. But God says, come home. This is a story about coming home. Actually, if you're not a Christian here today, let, let me tell you, God is actually in the process of adopting. God, God loves adopting people into his family. And in the same way, he speaks these words over you. Whatever you've done, whatever you've become, because of Jesus, not because of anything you've done, I love you. Come home. I want to commune with you. I want to dwell with you. I want to have a relationship with you. Embrace grace. So whatever you're going through today, won't you embrace this grace? Won't you come home? The Father's arms are wide open. As one song says, Father's arms are wide open. Forgiveness was bought with 
with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, what a Savior. Isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah. So when we realize that grace is a person, and grace is enough, we'll embrace grace. We won't need to work our way up to God. If you want to live a Christian life that is different, if you want to be salt and light, this is how you can do it. You can't do it any other way. You can't do it in your own strength. The only way you can do it is by being strengthened by God's grace. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we do thank you for your grace. Grace that has appeared in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus who is, in every sense, God. And who is also human. Jesus who lives the life that we did. That we couldn't. The life that Israel, the life that Adam, the life that all humanity couldn't. And this very same Jesus who then goes to the cross to suffer for us. Same Jesus who then rises to show us your grace. Father, may we see this grace in him. May we behold him and may we wonder at the great love that you have shown us. A love that does not require us to work to be right with you. Love that only requires for us to just believe. Lord, would you help us to embrace your grace? Knowing that your grace is enough, even in our struggles as Christians, would you help us to embrace your grace? To know that your grace is what empowers us to even fight sin. And Father, as your people, help us to then extend this very same grace to others. Help us to take the message about this Jesus to people who are living in darkness. To, our people, to people who are orphans. People whom you desire to adopt into your family. Lord, use us in the coming week. For the sake of your gospel, we pray. Amen.